0: The Sunday Sermons Podcast. We're going to start this morning with a simple question. I need you to answer this in your own head, or if you're one of those people that has to say things out loud, whisper it to the person next to you. Simple question, three words. What is evil? What is evil? Now, I wish wish that I could hear every single person's answer, we don't have time for that this morning, but I want to take a quick poll. When I ask that question, what is evil? How many of you guys, by a show of hands, how many of you, the, the answer that you thought of or said very quietly was a definition? Like this is, if, if somebody or something was like this, it would be evil. This is what evil is. How many got a definition in your head? Okay, Um, Very common way to understand those three words. How about this? How many of you instantly went to a thing, an idea, even a person or a group of people that you think is evil? What is evil? This guy, that thing. Okay, very common. Here's the thing. We all have ideas and they all matter, but what we're doing together right now is trying to just balance all of that, measure all of that against what Jesus said what Jesus thought, the way Jesus looked at things, what, when, when, how Jesus answered questions. This is the 10th in a series simply called Jesus, and we're talking about Jesus and evil today. And the main story is one, if you were here several weeks ago, we, we intentionally skipped it, and I told you we'd come back. Here it is. We're coming back because there's so much beauty in this. But this is a, well, in my mind, it's almost a classic Western showdown between Jesus and the devil out in the desert. Anybody else like old Western movies? At least sometimes, okay, yeah. You know how like the showdown, they'd always, they, they, they you see the guy's face and then the bad guy's face, and then the hand by the gun, the other guy's hand by the gun. And then it zooms in, you see their eyes. You know what I'm talking about, okay? Kind of like this one right here, there's Jesus and the devil's eyes. I just picked two of the depictions of them. But imagine this, they're out there. But the truth is, if you look at the whole story of Jesus, and we'll see some of this, how this works, pretty much his whole life in one way or another was a showdown with the devil. And he won every single one of the battles there. And later, some of his disciples that were the closest to him, that spent the most time with him they picked up on this peter for example in acts 10 when he was given one of his most most powerful sermons he said that jesus helped people and healed people to uh break the power of the devil in their lives and john the apostle he starts out his whole gospel his whole version of the story of jesus Uh, he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god He was with God in the beginning. And all things were made by him. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. And he sets up the whole story before he even starts telling us about Jesus as this classic battle between life and death. Goodness and truth and all the counterfeits of that. Light and darkness. Later in his uh, first letter that he wrote, 1 John, he says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, that we have fellowship with God and with Jesus the Son. If we don't, we don't. And there's this clear line in the sand between these two, and so much of Jesus' life does that. I'm laying some foundations here just, just so you get this. Another aspect of this idea of Jesus and evil that's very clear is Jesus makes no—he doesn't beat around the bush at all. He just says the devil's going to lose in the end. One, just one example. He's telling a story. In third person, he's talking about himself when he comes back, and he says this, Matthew 25, 41. Then he—that's Jesus, the returning king in this story— Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's how it's going to end up. Notice that hell is for the devil and his angels, not for us. And that doesn't mean some of us won't end up there. That means it's designed to punish them. Does Everybody got that? Because here's the problem. For some reason, almost every culture there's ever been in many religions and even some pockets of Christianity, we have this idea that good and evil are equal, that there's good and there's evil and they're always equal. Sometimes maybe we think that evil is more powerful than the good. That's just not how Jesus looked at it. It's not how it really, truly is. There's what's real and true and perfect and original, and there's all the counterfeits and broken, spoiled, twisted versions of it. And the real thing's always more powerful. Hopefully, this will be a fun way to help us understand this. If you go to some countries around the world, you might be able to find this toy. It's from a movie I've not seen, but it sounds familiar. It's called That Lion Thing. And the toy looks... Kind of familiar, like a repainted version of a toy that I actually still have from my childhood, but this character is called Chufasa. I'm gonna say it again, Chufasa. How, how about this, how, how many would, you, would like to eat at a place called Pita Hut? And I apologize, I have no idea what's going on over here, other than maybe the devil doesn't want you guys to see these pictures, so try and squint and see over here. Pizza Hut. Um, I like pita bread, but I think that just is a little derivative. I think I'd walk on by. Or how many would like to brush your teeth with crust toothpaste? <laughs> just not feeling it. And, and I think sometimes people mean well, even when they're, when we're, they're copying things or parroting things, they mean well. For example, some Christian T-shirts. I mean, I like Reese's, Reese's cups and all that, but I, I don't think that's how we're going to change the world. I also like Mountain Dew but i don't think this is going to change too much either meant to die it just don't it doesn't work cs lewis said it like this wickedness when you examine it turns out to be the pursuit of goodness in the wrong way goodness is so to speak itself badness is only spoiled goodness evil is a parasite not the original and foundationally, that's not in Scripture, that's C.S. Lewis, but he's, 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 he's expressing a very biblical, very Jesus worldview there. Because this is how Jesus treated it. It, He did not treat the devil as an equal. He did not treat alternative truths as equal or or valid as the original. He knew what was real. He had helped create everything that is real. There was no doubt in his mind what was real, what was true. He even said uh, he was the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Any of this sound familiar? Here's the other thing we've gotta remember. Jesus defeats evil. Let's say that together. Jesus defeats evil. He's going to, one way or another. Maybe we don't understand the timing, we don't understand how, we don't understand everything about it, but this is real. And here, one more time, here's why. Then we're gonna go into the story. Jesus personifies and creates the love and joy and peace freedom, and all the other stuff that sin and evil promises but can't deliver. Evil evil promises all that stuff because the devil knows we crave it. We were designed to crave it. But the only one who can give us the real stuff is Jesus himself. Everything that anybody else ever, no matter how well-meaning they may be, tries to offer us, it can't deliver. It's just a counterfeit or it's a cheap copy of the original. And that ultimately is evil well let's go back to the showdown in the desert and uh, if you'll indulge me i I'm, I'm picturing that western thing again every time i read this story i hear kind of a flute and guitar in the background <laughs> i can't really do a flute very well there we go we got this hey, help me out when we get there again <clears throat> then jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I think it's interesting to go back and check out the things that Jesus actually quotes. I think that's, he he did this a lot. We talked about that when we talked about the cross not too long ago. That that's, I really believe that that's what he was saying when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting the first line of Psalm 22, which is all about crucifixion. Nobody just figured that out yet. Jesus did this all the time. It was a common practice of rabbis. And I think that he's kind of doing that here, even though he's fighting the devil. Because what he's quoting there is from Deuteronomy 8, chapter 3. It's back when Moses had, through, with God's power, just led somebody through water and out into the wilderness on their way somewhere. Does this sound familiar? Jesus is fighting this battle right after his baptism, and the Holy Spirit has led him out into the wilderness. And Moses is talking to the people in Deuteronomy 8:3, and he says this, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which is bread from God, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is not on equal terms with the devil. He's way ahead of him the entire time. And God consistently, even though I don't like it any more than you do, God consistently does walk us through hard times sometimes. I don't believe he causes the pain in the world. He doesn't smite you with the evil that happens in the world. But he allows us to go through some things so that we can get stronger. It's hard to know the difference. The best way I know to to describe that, if you were here last week, we talked a little bit about this on Father's Day. We talked about it on Mother's Day several weeks ago. But good parents always try to stretch their kids a little bit. Uh, one of the most dramatic examples for, for me was driving, teaching my kids to drive. Kim taught him some, and I taught him some, but that's terrifying, isn't it? But you don't teach your kids to drive because you really, you really think they're going to wreck the car, and you're all going to die that day. That's definitely not what you're after. You're teaching your kids to drive because no matter how painful that experience might be that day, you believe that on the other side of that, they're going to be good drivers, right? On the, other side of that, on the other side of that test, on the other side of all that practice, on the other side of all that awkwardness, they're actually going to be able to drive themselves around and have a good life where they can get from place to place in a moving vehicle, right? And this is is God's perspective. And the devil's perspective is just some evil person trying to wreck everybody. He doesn't want us to get stronger. You see this perspective from Jesus, though. Even the night that he went and he was betrayed and he was beaten, he said this to Peter, that that same, same one we mentioned earlier. He says, Simon, Simon, he uses his real name, not his nickname. Peter means rock. Jesus called him that. His real name was Simon. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. He saw beyond the imminent failure and didn't see that as a defining failure. This is God's vision for each one of us. He sees beyond. Even you go back to the Israelites out in their wilderness experience. Uh, They were being tested and trained and taught, but they kept derailing. They kept just complaining and hating God and doubting God. One of the core ideas, one of the really classic ones, what happened at a place that they later called Massa, which means testing. And that means because they were testing God's patience. They were testing God. And what happened there was they were saying, you brought us out here to die. We want to go back. We want to be slaves again, be better than what we're doing right here, trying to follow you. Yeah, We're thirsty. God gives them water by having Moses hit a rock. It's very clearly a miracle. And God's saying, I can do literally anything just. Trust me. Walk through this with me. James, which is Jesus' half-brother. is Mary and Joseph's child, um, younger than Jesus. He later became one of the greatest leaders in the early church, and he wrote the book of James in the New Testament. He says it like this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. You don't have to squint very hard to hear all of these things we've just been talking about in this passage. Can you see it? Can you feel it? Yeah, this means yes, this means no. I can explain it further. Okay, excellent, excellent. Remember what Paul says about the armor of God in Ephesians 6? In Ephesians 6, he says that the armor God gives us, think about this, it's truth, faith, the word of God and the very spirit of God, righteousness, salvation, a readiness to share that truth, It's not about violence, but it does protect us, and and the devil cannot stand against those things because they're the real deal. Let's go back to the story for just a second, but first let's say this. Say this with me. Evil distorts and contradicts truth. One more time. Evil distorts and contradicts truth. And again, remember, from a biblical perspective, from Jesus's perspective, it's not an alternative way to look at things. It's not an alternative truth. It's not a different way, a different perspective that's also valid. There's truth, and there's everything else. Does that make sense? And all the devil can do is he can distort it, he can contradict it, But he can't change it and he can't come up with something that's equal to it and just a little different. He can just mess it up a little bit. And the devil, his goal is always to get us to trust our own wisdom and our own feelings and our own desires more than we trust God. And he'll do literally anything, literally anything to get us distracted from what God wants done. See, if, if we were talking here this morning and all of a sudden this fiery demon-looking thing showed up and it's breathing fire, that would be a distraction. But all he really has to do is make whatever that's, that is go happen. And every time you look up there, you're like, for a split second, you're like, you're out of the picture again if you're sitting on that side of the room. Do you know what I'm saying? He doesn't care what it takes as long as we're a little bit distracted. And by the way, I did not plan that. I'm just acknowledging the reality of the situation. Can I get that flute playing again? Who who had the flute? Thank you. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. (laughs) See what he's doing here? The devil's quoting the Bible. He'll do anything. Remember? Actually, one of his favorite things to do is get us to misunderstand God. Because he knows that some of us will absolutely jump on the train and rebel against God, but some of us won't. We're like, no, 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 I'm only gonna do it if it's okay with God. So he twists it around so we think, I think this is okay with God. How many many are with me in that? That's the primary way he gets me to do that. Almost everything I can look back on now and realize, no, I was straight up sinning. At the moment, I had somehow convinced myself that it was actually okay. It wasn't all that bad. God was actually smiling. Total foolishness, total sin, but he does this all the time. He'll do whatever it takes. He's quoting the Bible to Jesus. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift up you lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He's quoting Psalm 91. Which is really ironic because the whole psalm, Psalm 91, is about completely trusting God. It's the same issue that Moses is talking about in Deuteronomy 8. It's the same issue that Jesus keeps bringing back up every single temptation. It's the whole issue of going out into why the Spirit sometimes leads us into the wilderness to be tested by God. It's that whole idea. And that's what the devil picks to quote to Jesus. Again, he's, he's not on the same level. Here's a segment from Psalm 91. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. What it's really talking about is that if you really try to follow God through the wilderness, he's going to help you stay on track. That's what it's really about. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And guess where Jesus is quoting from? Deuteronomy again. Once again, it's Moses talking to the Israelites in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy 6, it says this, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. Remember the story I just kind of briefly told you a second ago? Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees that he has given you. And Jesus, the more he talked about all these things later in his life, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about his idea of the kingdom that he was trying to build and the stories that he would tell about the kingdom. Two of those are perfect illustrations also of how the devil and Jesus are constantly, actively trying to build that kingdom and mess that kingdom up. Obviously, Jesus is building it. The devil's trying to mess it up. In Matthew 13, for example, there's the parable of the sower. And the first thing that happens after the seed is sown is the birds come and steal some of the seed. If the devil can just get us to not even hear it in the first place or instantly forget it, that's a win. That's, That's great for him. And then there's the story in the same chapter of the wheat and the weeds. The farmer plants really healthy wheat in really nice fertile ground. And then his enemy comes in and, and plants weeds all around it in the middle. That, both of those stories have lots of layers of goodness in there. But, but what I hope you're seeing today is that there's, an, there's, there's a real conflict between these two forces. And all the devil can do is try to mess up the agenda that the real person has you see that? He's messing up the sower. He's messing up the farmer. He doesn't really have any bigger or better power at all. One of the first things, the very first thing that Jesus is recorded to say was back when he was 12. We've mentioned this several times because I think it's so important. And he says all the way back then, he says, don't you know that I have to be about the blank of my father's very specific kind of greek construction that kind of it means fill in the blank with anything and that's the answer sometimes when we translate those those things those verses we try to um, fill in the blank i must be in my father's house about my father's business we kind of guess what he meant but he means everything i'm here to do my father's stuff And he actually uses that same phrase in different ways several times, and it's used other places in the New Testament. Here's one. Here's Jesus talking to people who claim to be following God but are not. He says, why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. That phrase is the blank of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And yet because I tell the truth, you did not believe me. One more thing I need you to say out loud. We just want it to stick. hope this frames the rest of this as we start to turn a corner and start wrapping up today. It, say it with me. Evil delays and derails God's plans for us. Let's say that one more time. Evil delays and derails God's plans for us. That's really all. That's his best hope. That's what he wants more than anything. One more time. Let's get the flutes and guitar going. We're back in the story. Help me out. All right, here we go. And again, we see the same thing. Of course, the devil would like it if we worshiped him, if we somehow offered him sacrifices or same songs to him. That's really not his big dream, though. He just doesn't want us to worship God. He doesn't want us to accomplish God's will for us. He would, of course, he would have loved for Jesus to bow down before him or to submit to him in any way. But what he really didn't want was whatever Jesus actually had planned, because he was terrified of that. All he really wanted to do was at least delay it, hopefully derail it completely. And here's what Jesus quoted back to him. This is Deuteronomy 6, actually just a couple of verses earlier than the one he quoted a second ago. Moses talking to the Israelites in the wilderness. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God is among you. He is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land when we walk not if when we walk through the wilderness parts of life it's so easy to it's so easy to forget that jesus beats evil that evil's just a cheap counterfeit of the real thing but that's precisely what we're trying to remember in those spots that's Exactly specifically what God's trying to teach us in those moments when we're hungry and when we're struggling and when it hurts and when we're thirsty and when we don't understand and it feels like we're going nowhere. And if we're going somewhere, it might not be somebody someplace we really want to go. It's that's exactly when we need to remember those things. It's so, so hard to remember in the wilderness that evil can only distort and contradict or delay or derail God's plans. It can't give us an alternate plan that's actually better. And yet that's always the lie, isn't it? This is going to be even better. God's holding out on you. It would be better to be a slave in Egypt than to be free in the wilderness. It would be better to be on your own, making your own decisions than submitting to God. That's always the lie, and it's never, it cannot be true because all evil is is cheap counterfeits of the real thing. And yet, we have real choices. Just like if you're driving, you're teaching your kids how to drive, who's actually holding the wheel? I mean, sometimes it's the mom with one hand. You know what I'm talking about. Or who's really holding the wheel most of the time? This is easy. The kid, right? The teenager, the, the person you're teaching, your child, okay? That's who's holding the wheel. And Jesus gives us real choices, real responsibilities in these situations. That's why in Ephesians 4, Paul is talking about anger and he says, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. How many know that there are things that we do in our lives that give the devil a foothold, make it easier for him to distract us? Do you know what I'm talking about? That's one of the things God's calling every one of us to give up today. If you're making it easier on him, you need to get rid of that. It doesn't matter if the person next to you has a problem with it or not. If that's distracting you, get rid of it. It's not okay. Peter, again, keep coming back to him, one of these guys who was always with Jesus. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour you we ever seen those nature documentaries where a lion or a cheater or something is chasing all the wildebeests and stuff, okay? They always get the ones that are kind of straggling, don't they? They don't get the ones in the middle of the herd. They don't get all the ones that are just barreling through the canyon on their way to wherever they're going. They get the ones off to the side, the ones that are distracted, a little bit weak, that get separated somehow. We have some choices to make brothers and sisters, about how to stay connected to each other and how to stay on track with where God is collectively taking all of us. And whenever we get distracted by anything at all, it doesn't matter if it's an okay thing or even a good thing or a straight-up evil thing, if it's getting us off track, that's when the devil can pick us off. that's what Peter's warning us about. And John, again, in Jesus' tightest inner circle, Here's what he says in 1 John 3. The one who does what is sinful, as in keeps doing it. This is who they are. They just keep doing it. They say, "Just this is me. This is how I am. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. Whenever we see evil... As equal to God, we're completely missing the reality of the situation. Whenever we see it as a viable alternative, we're completely missing it. Whenever we see it as kind of like a, yeah, God's kind of okay with it. He understands. He's a father. He knows none of us is perfect. We're missing the whole thing. We are constantly in this battle, and there's going to be a clear winner, and there's a clear truth, there's a clear light, there's a clear life, there's a clear everything that is good on one side, and a clear counterfeit, broken, twisted, spoiled version of it on the other. But it's us that gets to choose which side of that line we're going to be on. That's why James, one more time, Jesus' little brother, he says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Last time, I need the flutes and the guitar. Everybody with me? Help me out. Excellent. See, here's the thing. That is happening right now. That struggle is still going on in the world. It's happening in America. It's happening in this building. It's happening in your heart. It's happening in my heart right now. And that same struggle is still there. And the same truths, the same choices that Jesus faced are the same ones that we face. And the same way he beat it is the same way we can beat it. You've got a choice to make. Are you going to choose bread or everywhere that comes from the mouth of God? In other words, are you going to choose, I'm going to get my needs met no matter what it takes or what God says about it, or are you going to choose God and his will and trust him to be right? That's the first one. Are you going to trust God or are you going to test him, shake your fist at him? Every time you feel like, well, I think I'm in the wilderness again, why Is that how you're going to do it? Or are you going to say, whoa, we're in the wilderness again. Thank God I've got him with me. What is this about? What am I supposed to be learning? It's a completely different thing. Again, there's a line in the sand. Which side are you on? That's your choice. This morning, we're going to offer you a chance, as we always do, to make a choice to get on the right side. Maybe you already are. Praise God, I'm assuming... Almost everybody, if not everybody in this room, is on the right side already. But this is a real problem for all of us. Even Jesus himself faced the temptation to cross over to the wrong side. So I'm asking you this morning, as we stand, as we sing this, you need to examine your heart. And I guarantee you there's something that each one of us needs to choose this morning in the direction of God. To make sure that we're going across that line. We're on the winning side, on the truth side, on the light side, on the righteousness side, the side that's ultimately going to win no matter what it looks like or feels like right this second. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit has led each one of you here this morning. He wanted you to hear this this morning. Only you know why. Well, he knows too. I don't is my point. Whatever God's doing in your heart this morning, that's what you need to deal with. And make whatever choice you need to. I'm going to be at the back. and dad's going to be right over there, wherever you're more comfortable. If you would to come forward to pray, if you need to talk about a decision, if you just need to make one in your heart, whatever needs to happen, let's all do that together right now.